This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Um, Parshas Va'era, everybody. It says, Yad Hashem, This is the fifth Makkah. And a Kaddish Baruch who is uh, telling Moshe Rabbeinu that Moshe Rabbeinu should tell Paro that the hand of God will be upon your cattle, Asher Basadeh. The word Hoya is going to be a very strange word that we're going to have to wonder about. What does that word Hoya mean? Simply put, it means it will be upon, but it does not appear anywhere else in Tanakh. By horse, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the cattle, and on the sheep, Dever, Kaved, Ma'od, a terrible plague. Now, the purpose of this Makkah, says Rapersh, was to show Paro that all property didn't, uh, that did not belong to him, but rather to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Paro had been so wealthy, and he'd be in charge of so many people for this long, that he forgot. He thought everything was in his hands to do as he wished. If he wanted to enslave his nation, he could enslave the nation. If he wanted to take his animals somewhere, he could take his animals somewhere. Everybody is his, and he could do whatever he wanted. If that's so, then there is no God. God is me. There's nothing else out there. Hashem wanted to show him that really he owned everything. That Paro owned nothing and that he owns everything, even the animals. That they have only Hashem to defend them and nothing else. Each one of these animals, therefore, represented something big within the government of Paro. The horses represented power and the army because that's what horses were used for. Donkeys were for peaceful travel, regular travel between cities when people had to get from one place to the other. Camels for trade and commerce going far away but not for army purposes. Cattle were for labor, and sheep slash goats were used for food and clothing for their immediate needs. What happened here was that suddenly, without anything, everything stopped. Their economy stopped, their labor stopped, their travel stopped, and their war stopped. They couldn't do anything. When all these animals died, the animals that they relied on so much, in which Paro said, I'm in charge, I have everything, everything's in my hand, I run the economy, I make sure that people have trade and commerce, I'm the one who's going to be in charge of doing all these things, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, no, it's really me. And if I want to stop you at any point, I can stop you. I can do anything to make sure it happens. That invisible hand of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in very visible circumstances. That's the idea the Rav wants to put around here. Rev. Victor Miller says a different idea that goes along the same idea. The idea that everybody has to sit down and think for a second. If a plague comes into the city, and Baruch Hashem, we are not in a world, in our world where we're living in, in America, plague, yeah, you've seen movies about it, but it doesn't exist in our daily life. We're not worried about such things. We're not worried about these, these pestilences that might happen to one or the other. Yes, there's bird flu. Yes, I know that there's going to be all these other types of disease, but nonetheless, no one is changing in America their world because of that. They say, why it's going to spread if ever there was something like this. But what happens when there's a plague? Well, you hole up inside a house. You don't go anywhere. You wouldn't go anywhere because that's the dumbest thing to do. If everybody else has this pestilence and this plague, the last thing you want is to deal with other people. So what did the people do during this plague when everything was happening and the animals were dying? They stayed home. And they had no one to talk to but themselves and their immediate family. And they discussed what was going on here. What's happening here in Mitzrayim? We just had Dam, Tzvardeh, Kinam, Arova. Now all of a sudden, Dever was sitting alone doing nothing. Paro stood in his palace without anyone coming in. No one came in. No one went out. Paro had to sit there thinking about everything our Kaddish Baruch was doing to him. And that, that mindset, even though it didn't work completely, helped a lot of the Egyptians to understand there's something that we're off about. The worst thing that ever happened to human beings is the ability for that the need for us to work. 
if people would just have leisure, the hope would be that you'd spend your time thinking and considering what do I need to do and how do I need to do it. You'd assume that that's what people would do. Unfortunately, that's not reality. And I know people end up doing tons of other stuff when they really should be thinking and concentrating and doing their stuff. Sundays, which should be a day where everybody spends learning and doing stuff and doing stuff for HaKadosh Baruch Hu and doing things like that, unfortunately, is usually wasted on football in the winter. And in the summer, on baseball slash basketball, etc., whatever you can do outside, it's usually wasted that way. But the point of all this is supposed to be to give you time to think about what you're doing. That was what the plague of pestilence was all about. Devra was there so that people could think. And some people used it and most people did not. The order here is again gone through by Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. It goes from the lowest to the highest in Kedusha. Horses and donkeys are the least in Kedusha because they're both completely not kosher. Donkeys are a little bit more holy because Pidyon Petr Rechem, firstborn donkeys in the future will be redeemed for a sheep. Then comes camels. Camels are half kosher because they do, they don't have split hooves, but they do chew their cud. And then comes cows and then sheep and goats. Cows, because they are used for some korbanos, and sheep and goats, because they're more commonly used for korbanos. And therefore, it goes from lowest to high, from Kedusha, the lowest, to the highest. That's what, how it's going to die. That's Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky. The Shach says it was going on basic loss. The horses in Mitzrayim, the war horses, were tremendously expensive. That was the first one to go. Therefore, the horses went down first. They prided themselves on that. Donkeys were next because they were the most common animal, even though they weren't the most expensive. Then came cannibals, which were big and powerful and were used to carry very heavy loads. Cattle, because they did the work in the fields. And finally, sheep and goats were the least expensive and the least that they worried about because, again, that was their gods. They didn't use them as much. And although the market didn't affect them directly, it did affect their entire economy in that way. I'll ask you, what happened to the dogs? Why didn't the dogs die? If these are the five animals, that means dogs didn't die over here. So why didn't the dogs die in this case? Why wouldn't have that been there? Now, anybody who has a dog or has had a dog once in his life knows dogs and their owners are indispensable. Dogs and their owners, are, are they love each other. Why wouldn't you go, if you're going to do a Dever, a pestilence that's going to knock down their very lifeblood, so to speak, their economy, everything they have, why not knock down their, quote unquote, their kids? The dogs that were there, why wouldn't you have done that instead? The shach says it seems that none of the dogs died. None of the dogs died. He says it's hinted to the words, Mikol Livnei Yisrael, that from all of Bnei Yisrael nothing died. Mikol Livnei Yisrael is Kelev. Mikol Livnei Yisrael. Chaf Lamed Lamed Beis refers to Kelev, that the Klovim didn't die. And the reason why is because that was too much for the Egyptians to handle. And many of them would have gone insane had that happened. And therefore, the dogs did not die. That seems to be a crazy answer of the shock. And I would like another shot in there, but it is an idea. What's up? Yes. No means the dogs were alive. So what I'm asking is why didn't they die during Dever? Not how we know. No, 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 no. Still, some of the dogs could have died. Some of the dogs, you know, would have lived. You could say that some of the dogs survived. Here he's saying none of the dogs died. Not only that, though, pigs didn't die. There are two things that the Egyptians were well known for. Cows and pigs. It's brought down in a Mishnah in Bechorostav Chav Chesom Beis. 
dogs and uh, cows and pigs. It says that they would never allow cows and pigs to leave Egypt without cutting out their womb first. And the reason why is because they had such huge cows and pigs, they didn't want to get rid of these cows and pigs. They wanted them to be there completely. So why didn't they die during this maka? Taule Oros answers that the innards of pigs are very similar to the innards of human beings. So if disease would have gone through the innards of the pigs and the pigs would have died through this plague, then what would have happened next? Human beings would have died right afterward. That's how the Talioros answers that. Rav Chaim Knievsky was asked this question in Derech Sicha by Ravel Yaman. He was asked, but why? If HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing a miracle, then just make a miracle that the plague didn't spread to the human beings. Allow the pigs to get this disease, allow the pigs to have this disease and all die, and allow the human beings to survive. Why not do that miracle? And Rav Chaim answered, classic Rav Chaim Knievsky answer, classic Rav Chaim Knievsky, the answer is, well, what do you think? What? No, 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 no. The answer was, is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't do a miracle for more than what absolutely needs to be. If he would have made the pigs die, he'd have to do another miracle to make sure that the human beings didn't die. So therefore, he wouldn't let the pigs die so that the human beings wouldn't be affected. Now, as a timeout, there is something called the swine flu even nowadays, and the swine flu is not necessarily going to hit human beings the same way it hits pigs. So I don't know what it means exactly. You could say that it would hit the pigs and it wouldn't hit the human beings, but it's not that big of a deal. As what were you going to say? The horses were the best horses. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Right, 100%. I, the cows and the pigs are specifically mentioned in Bechoros. But you are 100% right. From the Pusik, it says, don't go down in the time to get the horses because they pride themselves on those war horses. That's 100% true. But Rukhain Knievsky gave another answer. The pigs were very, very expensive. So they never allowed them out into the field. It could be that only the animals that were out in the field died. The pigs were not in the field. They were in the barn, and therefore they survived. Since it says, B'miknechom, sorry? Right, it answers the dogs as well. Only the animals that died, Asher Basodet, that were in the field, died. But these animals, like the dogs and the pigs, would not have been involved in that. Any animal that was inside the house wouldn't have died. What's up, friend? Why can't you answer that since the dogs didn't bark when they were on their way out? Maybe it was a reward for them. A reward that they didn't die. Yeah, but it didn't happen yet. So you can't preemptively reward the dogs for not barking in the future by letting them survive now. It could be that they're there for this time, but again, you could kill off most of the dogs and still have that happen. Miam Louise gives a bunch of other reasons for this mock If you want to check them out over here, I'm going to say them very quickly. They forced the Jews to graze their animals, therefore they ended up dying. When the Egyptians wanted to plow the field, they used Jews instead of oxen. They had stolen quite a few animals over the, over the years, and they pretended like there was their own animals, when really it was the Jewish animals, so therefore all their, their animals died, but the Jewish, Jews' animals didn't die. There are no such things as the Jewish animals, right? But the Jews' animals didn't die. The Jews weren't able to take care of their own animals since they spent their days making bricks for the Egyptians. So therefore, Hashem made it. I would say, simply put, they treated their animals like gods. So therefore, their gods had to die to show that they were going to be dead. Or simply put, they were experts in making these huge animals, like we said, by the cows and the sheep and the, and the pigs themselves. So maybe because of that, HaKadosh Baruch wanted to make sure that that would be gone. They would no longer have it. It would be a huge blow for their economy. Tommy DeCross <laughs> says they already asked the Egyptians to give them animals to sacrifice. The Egyptians refused. Therefore, now, they said, if you're not going to give us the animals, therefore your animals are going to die. And these Egyptians were filled with such zima and tuma that their animals were completely tummy and they had to die as well. Those are the seven other answers that you can give, aside from a Rav Hirsch and aside from the possible Rav Vigdor Miller that we said before, as the reason of Dever itself. Now, it's pretty clear that only the animals that belong to the Egyptians died. Miam Loez, the Marl Diskin says 
even those animals that the Jews had that were sickly and should have died during these days did not die. Not only that, but the Ksav HaKabalah says there wasn't even a single limb of any animal that got hurt or broken or anything like that during these days. Said no Egyptian could go up and say, here's what happened to the Jews. They had this happen to them. Not one animal died, got sickly, lost a limb or anything like that. Nothing like that happened. The Svasamas and Likutim says that Paro was convinced this is just a coincidence since he saw many of the Egyptian animals surviving. Again, there, there were Egyptian animals that died, but some of those Egyptian animals had to survive. There were still animals by Barad. There were still animals by Shechin, because the animals also got boils. There were animals, obviously there were horses. There were horses leading the chariots when they went to Kriyas Yamsuf. Some of the animals must have survived. What he didn't realize, says the Sfas is that the only animals that survived is, as we said before, the animals of the Jews that they had stolen and their kids and grandkids, which never really belonged to the Egyptians in the first place. They thought to themselves, Oh, wow, look, some of the Egyptian animals died. This is just a coincidence. They didn't know. No, not at all. All of these animals are actually the Jews' animals. That's the idea behind it. There is a Malbim that says this is all a continuation. No need for that. How is it possible that all of their domestic animals perished? If we say that, and we just said, I mean, there obviously there are clearly animals that survived. So how could it be that all of their animals died? And if you tell me, no, it could be that only some of them. The Pusik says... I didn't quote the Pasuk over here. It says, Mikol Asher From all of the animals that are in the field, they all died. So how is that possible? So Rashi answers that the Gzeru is only on the animals in the field. Animals inside were not affected. The way the Rav Chaim Kinevsky answers it for the dogs and the pigs. Therefore, all the animals in the field perished. Anything that was inside survived. So there were people who had large horse stables or they had huge barns. They kept their animals inside the whole time. They did not die during Dever itself. The Ramban argues it didn't matter where the animals were. Whether they were in the fields or they were in their corrals, it made no difference whatsoever. They still, they were going to all die. He suggests that most of the animals died. Most of them. And we all know the concept of rubo ke kulo, that most of it is considered like all of it. So when the Pusik says that all of their animals died, it did not happen. And it was an even bigger miracle in the fields, because in the fields, the Jews and the Egyptians' cattle were mixed. You'd think that the disease would have spread over to the Jews' animals, but it didn't happen. Nothing happened whatsoever. The Ibn Ezra says, Rova the animals died. Chizkuni says the exact same thing. Sefer Ayasher says, 90% of the animals died. 9 out of 10 animals died. Out of all the sheep, all the goats, all the horses, all the cows, and all the camels. All of those died when it came to all these things. Tur and Panayach Raza says, the only animals that died belonged to the Egyptians, but not that all of their animals died. The line of all of their animals died really means all of the animals that died were the Egyptians' animals, but not that all of the Egyptians' animals died. You have to reread the Pusik. That's all you understand over here. The Nitziv says that the reason why they all died is because flocks passed away individual animals that were not part of a flock survived that were able to make it through. So if you had a flock, your entire flock was dead. If you had an individual animal that stayed to the side, that's how it survived. Says in its Mikne all died. But individual animals, one to the other, they were all going to be okay. But Rav Schwab says Kipshuto. Every single non-Jews animal died. There's 100%. And literally all they had left was anything that they sold to the Jews. Even if they faked it, they sold it to the Jews. And that's what they ended up doing over here. It's possible, the Orachim Akadu says, 
that these animals that were sold to the Jews, the Jews gave back to the Egyptians after the plague was over. Deborah was over, and the Egyptians came back to buy back their animals, similar to like what happens by chametz, etc. And the Jews just gave their animals back. They said, here, just take the animals, don't worry about it, take it back. Honestly, I... I Mechiras Chometz, right, the source for it and how it ends up coming in is an amazing, amazing sugya. The fact that we do not really sell the Chometz to the Goy, and yet it counts as a sale. It is a real sale, it is a star, and the Goy officially has it. But then when we buy it back, we buy it back, the money is handed over, and it's as if the Goy is doing us a favor, the Nanju is doing us a favor in that case. It very well could be compared to or like what happened by Dever. Because that really is exactly what happened by Dever, where the non-Jews ended up coming to us and said, all right, we'll buy back our animals. And we're like, no, please take it back. And that was important, says the Orachayim. Because later on, when we came to the non-Jews and said to the Egyptians, and we said, can we have some money before we left? The Egyptians remembered that we gave them their animals for free back to them. And they said, how could we not give you anything? How could we not? Here, take a little bit. They paid them for taking their animals and bringing them back during Dever. That was the payment at the very, very end of the day of why they did it over here. Okay, now we get into the period of Hoyo, what it means over here. Chizkuni could argue that how long did every Makkah take place? Do we all remember? It was more than three days. Seven days altogether, and then three, days, three weeks of respite. Seven days every Makkah, three weeks of respite. Chizkuni says it's possible this didn't take a week. It's possible they all died at once. And when it says, Hoya b'miknecha, it will be upon your cattle. It could be that literally, one second, all the animals were there. The next second, every single one of them died. And that the seven days of the Makkah is really seven days of living with dead animals all over your land. That's all it was. But the death of the animals, the plague that happened to the animals themselves, that may have all happened all at once. Moshev Zikanim, Rokeach, and the Rabbeinu Ephraim all say exactly that. It happened at once. And it was kind of scary because the vet would come the day before and be like, hey, your animal's totally healthy. And then afterward, come by and say, he's dead. <laughs> and that was it. If you were riding your horse when Dever happened, you were crushed by the horse when the horse died. If you were plowing with the cow, the cow crushed the person who was plowing. It would just fall over onto the person and die. Anybody who was riding any of these animals or near any of the animals, when Dever hit, all of them died. That's what happened to these people. So there were people that were around that actually died during that time. There's a Medjish Lakatov that argues, but regardless, it seems that way. And the Medjish Gadol and Mishnah's Rebbe Eliezer says exactly that. Now we saw by Kenan that every Mako was like an etzpah. So why over here by Dever do we call it a Yad HaKazaka? The strong hand of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, as if it's a hand as opposed to an etzpah. So there are easy answers. The easy answer is, how many animals died in this plague? How many different types of animals, I should say? Five, right? So Yad HaKazaka is the Yad HaKazaka that happened over there. That's cute, right? Another easy answer is, it's Yad HaKazaka because... It was the fifth maka. So you ended up having Dam was the first finger, Tzvardeya, Kinim, Arov, and Dever. So therefore you had five fingers for five makas over here. There's a Rokech that says that, the Tur says that, Tosefes Bracha brings it over here. The answers are brought down by the Alshech. Moshe Alshech goes on in Torah's motion, explains a little bit of that. The Balaturim says that the word Hifla appears only two times in the Torah, one by here and one with an Aleph at the end of it, at the end of the Tocha. And he tries saying that it affected the bodies of the Egyptians as well, and he goes on 
in that. The Ramban talks about that a little bit. But you should know, this makes it into the Haggadah. Yada chazaka zua dever. And in that, you have to wonder, why is this let out more than anything else? And the answer probably is, and it's obvious when it comes down to it, that Yad meant something so simple. If a Kaddish Baruch can wipe out the animals so quickly, think of what he can do to humans. Five and five. There was Dam Akinim and Arov leading up to death. Ultimate death, where every animal would die. Obviously with 10% remaining. And so too, the next five Makos would be the exact same way. That Shechin Barad Arbe Choshech, Makas Bechoros, would all lead up to death, absolute death, where the Egyptians themselves would die. This Makas showed the Egyptians the power of HaKadosh Baruch and what was different. Not only that, but what happened after the fifth Makas, according to the Ramban? Why is this the Yad HaChazaka of HaKadosh Baruch The Bechira of Paro. That free will that Paro had up until that point was now gone. After the fifth Makkah, there is no free will left. That's the idea that happens over here. Very, very good. Yeah, 100%. The Chazaka that ends up going through that you have. Although Chazaka usually is three, but the concept is there. Yeah, yeah, that's cute. Too Hasidish. No, 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 that's too... I mean, it has a ches in it. Whoa! Okay, so here we go. Medrash Lekach Tov says that the word hoya is absolutely unique. And we said it before, it's the only time in the Torah that the word is used. Rabbeinu B'chaya says, you know why? Hoya is spelled hey vav yud hey, which are the letters, obviously, of yud ke vav ke. Right? Now, I'm just going to say like this. Whenever I pronounce the name of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, of Yud and He and Vav and He, if I'm going to pronounce it like that, I'm going to say Yud Ke Vav Ke. Because there are questions whether or not you're allowed to pronounce it straight out like that. The Chassam Sofer was Makbid. So I'm just going to say it's Yud Ke Vav Ke. If I mention it the other way, like Hoya, I'm going to say it as He Vav Yud He. Okay? It's going to be mentioned that way. So just so you, nobody gets confused. There is no K. I know there's no K. Okay? But we're going to figure that out. It'll all work out well. So now, Rabbeinu Bechaya says... That hoya hey vav yud hey is the last of the letter combinations of a kaddish baruch Hu's name. If you have four letters and you wanted two of those letters are the same letter, obviously, and you wanted to rearrange those letters into different orders, right? There are twelve possible combinations that you can make. Twelve possible ones. And if you look by Sfardi Sidurim, by Rosh Chodesh, whenever you're blessing the month. They're on the bottom of the sitter. It'll have the 12 letter combinations and it'll tell you what to think of for each month. The Bnei Yisoscher, the Rebbe Midinov said, every month has another letter combination that applies to that month. And that's what you have over here. Hey, Vav, Yud, Hey, according to the Rabbeinu Bechaya, is the 12th combination. The Panim Yafo says it's the 5th. That's the Hafla. It's the 5th one altogether. It stands for pure Midas Adin, the left hand of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Yad HaChazaka of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And now we need a bit of an explanation. What does that mean, that the hand was on them by Dever, that we have this name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of Hey, Vav, Yud, Hey, and what does that connect to? So there is a Sefer out there called the Wisdom in the Hebrew Months. I don't know if anybody's read it before. Has anybody read it? Has anybody heard of Rabbi Reisman, Rabbi Tzvi Reisman from L.A.? Tremendous, tremendous, tremendous person. I have not heard him speak or met him personally, but I've read two of his Sfarim, The Wisdom in the Hebrew Months 1 and 2, the sequel, and they're both absolutely awesome Sfarim. Very highly recommended. The first one's better than the second one. But that's only my opinion. I'm sure other people say differently, but I'm telling you it's true. So that in this Sefer, it's an unreal Sefer that goes through the 12 months 
twice over, and it's based on his shirim that he gave on Rosh Chodesh every month in Los Angeles, and he goes through the importance of having a Rosh Chodesh meal and everything, and he explains a different aspect to this. So here's how Reb Reisman understands it. He says, this combination is used for Chodesh of. For Chodesh of. Now the Bnei Soskar says that Av is a very unique month. We all know, the beginning of the month of Av, starting from Rosh Chodesh until Tisha B'Av, obviously, is a sad month. We have all these laws of what we're not allowed to do. We minimize the amount of simcha that we have. And even Svartim, who barely hold of anything, right? Even they hold of at least Shvua Shachalbo during Av. Even them, they hold of that. And there's still our halachos, obviously, from Rosh Chodesh Av and on, right? We get that? Does anybody hear Sephardi? Okay, so you're not so insulted. You're fine. You're okay, right? So when it comes into it, but even they hold of this Chodesh Av. And then Tuba of hits. Tuba of was the happiest day of the year, aside from Yom Kippur, which obviously we all think of the happiest day of the year, right? But you have Tuba of, in which the woman would go out to the fields and dance. The people would celebrate it. The Gemara and Baba Vasra and Kufchafalov mentioned six things that happened on Tuba of to make it such a happy month. What's going on with Of? The first half of the month is this sad time, horribly sad, based on the destruction of the base of And the second half of the month is something very happy. Says the Bnei Yisachar, if you look at the word Hoya, Hey Vav Yud Hey, that is the name, the letter combination that goes with the month of Av, says Hey Vav and Yud Hey are the first two letters of Akarish Baruch's name, Yud Hey, right? And the last two letters of Akarish Baruch's name, Vav Hey, but it's the opposite. Vav Hey is first and Yud Hey is last. And not only that, the first two letters are out of order. It's Hey Vav instead of Vav Hey. The last two letters are Yud Hey. Here's the idea. In a Kaddish Baruch Hu's name, there are two parts. Yud and Hey is the Rachamim part. There's something that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is bringing Chesed. And whenever letters are in order, it seems to be a bit more of Chesed, something a little bit in order. When things are backward, then that stands for Midas Adin. Yud and Hey is how we're representing the second half of the month, where there's Simcha. And there's pleasure, and it goes, yud hey, it's straight. The first half of the month is the opposite. It's vav and hey, that midas adin, so to speak, and turned around, so that it's hey vav, to mean it's ultimate midas adin. The first half of the month is hey vav, the second half of the month is yud hey. So we're taking the actual name of a Baruch Hu, and we're saying, this is how you divide it up. Now, says the B'nai Yisosur, every single letter combination of a Baruch Hu is somewhere in the Torah. Where is this letter combination used? Where do we see hey, vav, yud, hey? Any answers? This word in endeavor. Ho, yo. It's used right over here. This is how we understand it. So what does that mean? What does dever have anything to do with what's happening in Av? Here's the pshat. Mishnah, perki, avos, perkei, mishnah, Why does plague come into the world? Why are there plagues in the world? And the answer is because people use their own fields during Shemitah. When people don't treat Shemitah properly, then plague comes into the world, endeavor comes into the world. That means when a person doesn't take care of the poor people among him, when he leaves his food and his stuff for himself, and he doesn't take care of the poor people that are there, and instead exploits them, steals from them, takes away from those people, at that point, then a plague comes into place. If you can't take care of them, then says the Kaddish Baruch Hu, I'm going to have to take over. 
You're going to be gone and someone else is going to take your place. People think that they run the world with their own business acumen, that they allow their fields to prosper. HaKadosh Baruch who punishes them by taking away everything, causing this plague, making them lose out on everything. Remember how we answered before regarding Paro, the way that Rav Hirsch understood this entire parsha, that Paro thought that the entire thing was his. It's all about me. I'm the one in charge. And HaKadosh Baruch is showing him, no, you're not. You are absolutely not. Everything's in my hands, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And I can do whatever I want with it. And I'm going to show you by taking away your animals, taking away your economy, taking away your warfare, everything is 100% mine. This plague for the Egyptians was absolutely a punishment for not helping the poor Jews around them. By exploiting the poor, which is the idea of not giving during Shemitah, therefore, he ended up using them as slaves, therefore, they got this plague that came upon them. Granted, there were other makos, but the purpose of this makos specifically was because they didn't help the Jews. As a timeout, I mentioned before that in America, there haven't been plagues that have really affected us. We're not affected by them. It could be that it's for the same reason the Rabbarach Bear said that there was never a real, I don't want to say this because historians will argue, but the wars in the past 100 years have never been on American soil. Why? Said Rabbarach Bear, there won't be because they give a ton of tzedakah. Because Americans give a ton of tzedakah. Now, I don't know if that's America as a whole, but certainly the Jewish community. This is an unbelievable community in giving tzedakah. And when a community gives tzedakah, they're saved from plague. They're saved from warfare, according to the Pasuk. The idea is, once a person gives their tzedakah properly, mice or whatever they can give, then all of a sudden, everything around them becomes a little bit easier. Maybe that's the reason why it goes through. But he goes on and he says, the Meshech Chachma says, the Egyptians realized what was going to happen. As we said before, they knew that their animals were going to die. So what did they do? They sold their animals to the Jews. And it was those animals that survived. And when the Jews got them back, as we said before, the Jews, when the Jews came after the Makkah, the Egyptians went up to them and said, can we have our animals back? The Jews gave them those animals and the Egyptians ended up giving them money because of it later on, in, later on when they asked them for the money, when they asked them to borrow money. It's as if there's a double aspect to this plague. Aspect number one was the fact that it's a plague to punish the Egyptians because they didn't take, they didn't do what they were supposed to do when it came to tzedakah and taking care of the poor people among them. That's the first aspect. And therefore, that's like the first half of the month. The hey vav, the rearranging the letters in the opposite order to stand for Midas Adin. Something horrible happened because they didn't do it in the right way. But the second half of the month, refers to the result of this Makkah. The result of this Makkah was that the Jews were seen favorably in the eyes of the Egyptians. That the Egyptians spent their time thinking, like what Victor Miller said, saying, what's going on here? And even though their minds were hardened and they couldn't give up what they wanted to give up and the Jews couldn't leave yet, there was a different mentality that the Egyptians had with them from this point on. From this point on, they may not have been free, but they were treated more equally. And that was a major aspect. The first half was bad. Deborah was purely a bad maka. But the end result was something good for the Jews. That's why Deborah compares to Av and why the shame Hoya, Hey Vav Yud Hey, that shame of Akarish Baruch Hu, that combination of Akarish Baruch Hu's letters ended up being the name that's used for Av and for this maka itself. That's an amazing idea. And if you think about it, that's what Av is. The first half of the month of Av, yes, is sad. But who is born on Tisha B'av? Who is supposed to be born on Tisha B'Av itself? Mashiach. 
The concept is, is that the second half of the month becomes a month of Simcha. It becomes something even greater. That's the idea behind them, that it goes on to something even greater than that. In the month that Beis Amikdash is destroyed and sadness happens, we're able to find our greatest Simcha. And if you know anybody that's born on Tisha B'Av, I'd like to see him. Because that would be a nice person. If his name is Mashiach, I definitely want to see him. If you know a guy that's named Mashiach was right over there, I would definitely be into that to be able to go. And I know his name's not really Mashiach. Last part that we're going to go through is like this. The Pusik says later, that it seemed, this is the wording, there did not die from the cattle of Israel, now, adachad is a weird wording. How do you translate adachad? Until one, right? So normally in the Pesach, if you look at art school, it's going to say even one. Not even one animal of the Jews died. But the word adachad literally means until one. Sounds like one animal died. The paro looked at the Jews' animals, and he saw one died, and he was like, see? It's not just the Egyptian animals, it's the Jews' animals. And I'm sure his advisor went up to him and said, Paro, dude, it's every single animal is dead except for one. So that's pretty, what does that tell you? And Paro's like, that tells me it wasn't God. It was all a coincidence. That's what it's, it's, it's crazy talk. But nonetheless, one animal convinced him. The Ibn Ezra says, eh, eh, not even one. That's what he says, like Rashi. And Paro is still unaffected because he's like, all right, whatever. But the Vilna Gong, the Chsam Sofer, and the Malbim say Adechod means there was one animal that survived. Who is the one animal, not survived, one animal that died. Who is the one animal of a Jew that died? There was only one person who was quasi-Jewish, questionably Jewish. Who is that one person who was quasi-Jewish? The Mekalel, the Megadeth, the guy who cursed out God. His mother was a Jew. And his father was an Egyptian. And here's the deal. After Matan Torah, it goes by matrilineal descent. You go by your mom. If your mom's Jewish, then you're Jewish. Right? That's what it went by after Matan Torah. Before Matan Torah, however, it all went by the father. And the father in this case was an Egyptian. That means that this kid, the Ben Isha Yisraelis, was not really Jewish. He was really Egyptian. That man... Had a, he had a cow, or a sheep, or a goat, or a donkey, or a camel, or a horse. I don't know what he had, but he had something. And that animal died. And when Paro saw that, he said, oh, a Jewish man's animal died. <laughs> but everybody else knew this was not a Jewish kid. This was an Egyptian kid. And therefore, it was one Jewish kid's thing that died, it wasn't really a Jewish man's animal that died. And that's why it says it so confusingly in the Pusik. Adechod, even, not even one Jewish animal died. What about that guy? That guy wasn't Jewish. But Pyro thought that one animal, one animal died, and that was enough. That goes through right over there. As a side note, by the way, you know the halacha is, right? If somebody comes up and says that a woman was together, she's a married woman, but she was together with another guy and they had a child. The halacha is that the child you'd assume that the child is the father's child. It doesn't matter what the kid looks like. If the kid is born, really DNA testing doesn't work as well, rove is that it belongs to the father. He's a Jewish kid. Halachically speaking, after the Torah, that kid would have been Jewish. Because not only matrilineal descent, but you also know who the father is because you assume the father is the person who's rove b'ilos. 
But in this case, it's something a little bit different because it was before Matan Torah and it's not Rovilos because she was suspected of something. So there's more to it, but regardless, that's over there. There's a moral discon over here that we don't need to go to. That Yelis HaShachar says, how in the world, this is Ravari Arnold Steinman, how in the world did they know this? Did they check every flock? Was there like a guy who was going through it? Nope, nope. And going through it until he looked through every Jews and he's like, one died. <laughs> that was it? Who is this guy? That's like the worst job ever to have to go around and say everything. Salazar Shakar says he thinks that after Paro saw that all of his animals died, he sent out people to every single one of the flocks to see how many people were there. So there were hundreds, maybe even thousands of Egyptians checking out the flocks of the Jews. And that's the reason how they found out over here. And if you want to go into a tremendous amount of lumdis, we'll end with this, a tremendous amount of lumdis and understanding. There's a chsam sofer in Torah's Moshe and in the chsam sofer ala Torah that explains five different possibilities where it belonged to a Jew, but really it didn't, it belonged to an Egyptian. Now, some of them you might know from your, 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 your uh, I, I, the, the time that you've been through Bavakam or Bavmetzia. Maybe you can remember some of them. If I... Let's say I buy an animal from you, Zalman. Let's say I buy an animal from you, but I don't take possession of it until 30 days later. Who owns the animal for those 30 days? In other words, I paid you the money right now. The animal is mine after 30 days. The conditional. Conditional buying, I'm going to buy it after 30 days. Who owns the animal at that point? So Paro thought it's the Jews. Because even though he bought it now, right, even though I guess he's not getting it till later, but the Jew bought it already at that point. But logically speaking, who does the animal belong to during those 30 days? the Egyptian. So you have, an, you have a case, you have a situation where that could possibly happen over there. You have another. Let's say, Hamachlif para bechamor. Let's say an Egyptian had a donkey and a Jew had a pregnant cow. And the Jew switched the pregnant cow for the donkey. And then the pregnant cow gave birth. Who owns the child if you don't know where... Again, the cow would have to be in a simta, which means an area that's not a rishasi yachid, because then automatically wherever the baby is, it would be a motzimichavero lavaraya. But let's say the baby is born inside a simta or whatever, in a, in a swamp somewhere, in Agam. Who does that baby belong to? Says the Chassam Sofer, right at Dever, there was an Egyptian man named Salid, and there was a Jewish man named Moshe, not Rabbeinu, just Moshe, good guy. Moshe, good guy. And Moshe, good guy, exchanged his donkey for Salid's good old, is it Sahid or Salid? Sahid. We'll call him Sahid's good old donkey or cow or opposite, whatever it is. Who does that animal belong to at the end? Paro thought it's the Jews. And the Jews thought, no, it's the Egyptians. And that's why it died. When it goes through, you could have tons. How about this? He sent a shliach to be able to give a cow over to a person. When a person buys a cow and he sends it in the hands of the shliach, who does, it, who, belong, who does it belong to and who is Chayv and Onsen at the time that the shliach takes the animal itself? Is it the guy or, that, or is it the guy who owns it, right, who still has it, who got paid for it, or is it the person that he's sending it to? So again, you could have a machlokas between Paro and everybody else. We know that Paro didn't pass correctly. But the amazing thing is that there's so many cases like this that you could say, the Chassam Sofer mentions five of them, that it could be that that's how we have that. So now, what do we do over here? We ended up saying the purpose of the Mako, we went through Rav Hirsch, we went through a Victor Miller, we went through Yako Konetsky and the Shach for the Order. We did a bunch of things about dogs and pigs. We went through the Miam Loez giving other reasons for the Mako as well as some others. We went through the Sfasemes and Likutim and the Malbin, the continuation of the second Mako and all of those over there. We mentioned how it could be that all of them 
and died. We mentioned about six answers for that. We mentioned by Kinam how that was an expound. This became a Yad HaChazaka and why it's specifically called the Yad HaChazaka more than everything else. We mentioned the word Hoya and we explained how that word is a letter combination of Hashem for Chodesh Av and what that has anything to do with Dever itself. And finally, what it means by Ad Echad, that they all died, even one or until one, what that Pasuk could mean. Shkai guys, have a great shot.